Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of the Take Podcast. I am your host, Jackson Burleson, and today in this episode, I will be discussing the top 10 draft busts in NBA history. You know, there's been a lot of really bad draft picks over the years, but I'm going to go ahead and give you my top 10, starting from number 10 and working my way up all the way to number one. So let's go ahead and get into this list because I'm very excited about today's episode of the pod. Um, so at number 10, I got Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer Fredette was the 10th overall pick in the 2011 NBA draft, and he was picked by the Sacramento Kings. Now, a lot of people, if you know Jimmer Fredette, he was known for being called Jimmer Mania because of his senior year at BYU. And he averaged 29 points per game his senior year, leading the nation in scoring and winning national player of the year. A lot of people and a lot of scouts saw a lot of upside from Jimmer's senior season. I mean, he dropped 45 points against San Diego State, who had Kawhi Leonard on that team on ESPN. It was a nationally televised game, huge game. BYU was ranked number three in the nation as San Diego State was ranked number five. I mean, it was just the biggest college basketball game in the nation at that time, and Jimmer just drops 45 points. And then also, in his senior season, he broke multiple school records, and one of those being scoring 52 points in a game, breaking the Mountain West Conference record and school record. And he scored 52 points in the Mountain West Conference Tournament in the semifinals. Um, that's insane itself. And then he also recorded the most field goals made by any BYU player in school history. And then he also broke the single season scoring record who was previously held by Danny Ainge, who played for the Boston Celtics. And he was a big time player. A lot of people were not really sold on Jimmer until his senior season. He could have went to the NBA after his junior year when he averaged 21 points per game, but he was only projected to go through 25th to 30th, which is late first round. And he ended up going 10th overall after playing one more season with the Cougars at BYU. But Jimmer got drafted top 10 and he didn't pan out. I mean, he had a okay rookie season. I mean, he averaged 7.6 points per game, but he only shot 36% from three, which the three-point shot was his strong suit. And, you know, I think the main concern for Jimmer and what he really struggled with was his defense. His defense was not good at the NBA level. He couldn't really defend at an elite level. And he was just kind of undersized, and he didn't have great ball handling either. So he was very limited to what he could be doing on the floor. He wasn't a versatile threat at the guard position. He was more of a catch-and-shoot type of player. And for debt, he would only play six seasons in the NBA and would play for five different teams, kind of bouncing around from the G League uh, to the NBA. I mean, he would get pulled up from the G League but wouldn't really see much action 
But he then went on after he uh, played six seasons in the NBA, not really having a great career, and playing for the Shanghai Sharks in China, where he's been averaging above 30 points per game in three seasons there. And he also scored 72 points in a game there that went viral, which was super impressive to see. But he always comes over uh, with the Shanghai Sharks to play against some NBA teams in preseason games. And, you know, he plays decent. I feel like he could be a, you know, a, an okay NBA player, but his defense is still bad and his ball handling is not great still. For the international level, he has good ball handling, but I mean, the NBA level, he just, his, his skills aren't up to par and, you know, he just really didn't pan out. And, you know, he could have been a decent NBA player if his defense was better, but I don't I don't think it goes any differently. Um, Jimmy Fredette is who I got at number 10 as my first draft bust. And at number 9, I got Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn was the sixth overall pick in 2009, and he's the point guard who was picked above Steph Curry. We all know what Steph Curry has done in his NBA career. He's the greatest shooter that anyone's ever seen. He has four championship rings and is a part of a dynasty in Golden State. So it's pretty hard for the Minnesota Timberwolves to see a guy like Curry, who they could have picked, pan out the way he panned out. And Johnny Flynn was a star in college. I mean, he was a very athletic player, Could co- had explosiveness at the rim, and he was very crafty at the basket, but he did have concerning with his shooting, which should have been a red flag immediately, but a lot of scouts and GMs were looking for that next Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook at the time, and players like that to be explosive and you know really tear up a defense. And you know point guards like that were good in the NBA, and you know Flynn was good at Syracuse doing that. I mean he averaged 15 and 17 points per game in his two years at Syracuse. And then he cleared for the draft after his sophomore year after leading Syracuse to the Sweet 16. And, you know, Flynn was supposed to be the next great point guard in Minnesota. He was supposed to be that next cornerstone piece. And he had a decent rookie season. I mean, he had a really good rookie season. He averaged 13 points per game. He started 81 games. And he shot 41% from the field, which is not terrible. I mean, you would think after a rookie season like that that, you know, he could have a good, promising NBA career, but it just didn't pan out that way as he would deal with a lot of hip injuries and he would always have injuries that would prevent him from fully recovering and coming back to the league like he wanted to. And after that, he would only play one more season with the Timberwolves and he only averaged five points per game in his second year. And then he was traded to the Rockets and then he went to Portland. He kind of bounced around a little bit and he only played four seasons in the NBA. And in 2012, he played his last NBA game. He kept dealing with injuries. And even after 2012, he kept trying to make a comeback and he just kept getting hurt and kept having setbacks. So it didn't really work out. And, you know, it's crazy that he was picked right before Steph Curry, literally the pick before Steph Curry. I mean, can you imagine the T wolves having Steph Curry on that team? I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves organization could just be so much different And I don't really know why, like, it was a red flag for NBA scouts at the time that a six-foot point guard, like, had to rely on athleticism and could not shoot at all. Like, not even, like, good at all. Like, 
But, I mean, the Derrick Rose thing and the Russell Westbrook thing made sense. But, you know, I think shooting was very undervalued at that time. And that's why the Minnesota Timberwolves went with Johnny Flynn instead of Steph Curry. And uh, I got Johnny Flynn at number nine on my list. And at number eight, this is a very, you know, sad and very unfortunate story. I mean, everyone knows Jay Williams as, you know, the ESPN analyst who is on ESPN talking with Max Kellerman and breaking down NBA games. And, you know, he broke down college games as well. But he was a star at Duke. His three years he played at Duke, he was a phenomenal player. He came out of the gate his freshman year averaging 14 points per game. And then he would go on in the next two years and light up college basketball. I mean, he really was a versatile guard. He could shoot the lights out of the thing, drive to the basket with athleticism. He was crafty. And it just really made sense for the Bulls to pick Jay Williams with the second overall pick in the 2002 NBA draft. And Williams was picked right after Yao Ming, which we all know how Yao Ming's career turned out. He's a Hall of Famer, and he's one of the best centers of all time. But Williams only played one NBA season for the Bulls. He played 75 games, averaging 9.5 points per game as a rookie, which is not a terrible season. And we all know that Williams is great in college. I mean, he was super good. I mean, he was super consistent. Everyone knew what he could do. And we didn't get really get that chance. The Bulls and himself didn't really get the chance to show what he could do in the NBA because he suffered a very fatal motorcycle accident. And he violated his contract with the Bulls because in the contract he signed before playing with the Bulls, it says you can't ride motorcycles and you're not supposed to be on motorcycles. And, you know, Williams didn't did it anyway, and he didn't think about the consequences, and he got in a really bad accident, tearing almost every single ligament in his knee and tearing his ACL as well. That took him out of playing for about four years, and he almost died because of it. And he went through a lot of mental health issues, Um he really thought about ending his life, which is very sad. And, you know, it's just, it just really is unfortunate to see a guy who, you know, was that good in college, not really pan out, not just because of what he did on the court, because there wasn't a matter of could he play. I mean, we knew Jay Williams could play. It was just the car accident that really prevented him, the motorcycle accident, excuse me, that really prevented him from reaching his full potential. And his injuries were just that bad. And his mental health was just not in the greatest state of mind. So he didn't really do well just because of that, which is unfortunate because the skills were there and he could have been a great NBA player. I guarantee you if he didn't get in that motorcycle accident, he would have had a long NBA career. And, you know, Williams did get a chance after four years of recovering with the Nets in 2006. And he got injured again and got cut for a, after being on the team for about a month. And, you know, Williams went on to have a good career as an ESPN analysis for college basketball. And, you know, he appears on first take. I mean, he's really done well after having a, you know, a really disappointing basketball. Like, you know, he had a really disappointing end to his basketball career. I don't think he expected it. Fans definitely didn't expect it to end that way only playing one season in the NBA. It's kind of unfair to call him a bust, but I have to put him on here because he was a second overall pick and 
you know, there was a lot of promise, but I got Jay Williams at number eight. Very sad story. Really a sad story. Um, but at number seven, I got Adam Morrison, who was the third overall pick in the 2006 NBA draft, who was a really highly talented prospect out of Gonzaga. He could shoot. He could score from anywhere. Um, he won the Oscar Robertson Trophy in his last year at Gonzaga, where he averaged 28 points per game, shot 42% from three, which is incredible, and 40% from the field, which was super efficient. He proved to be a very efficient player in college, and you know he scouts were very alert of what Morrison could do. I mean, they really thought he could be the next great shooter in the NBA, and you know one of the better scorers in the league by far. And Morrison just didn't pan out. Morrison was selected by the Charlotte Bobcats as he was selected. He was first player selected in the Michael Jordan era as he was an owner. And, you know, he had a solid rookie season to begin his career. He averaged 11 points per game. But after his rookie season, it was downhill from there. I mean, during his rookie season, midway through it, he was a starter, but then he lost his starting job because he just wasn't shooting the ball well enough. I mean, he only shot 37%, which shooting was his strong suit. So if you're not shooting that well from the field, then you're going to start to have your minutes get decreased. And, you know, the next year, Morrison tore his ACL in his second season, could not play his second year. But the next year, he would return and only play 44 games, and his minutes kept going down. And... After two years with the Bobcats, he was traded to the Lakers, and he was a bench warmer. He didn't do anything on the Lakers, nothing. He did win two championships with Kobe and Pau Gasol, but he was not a factor at all. He was always in a suit, or he was always on the bench warming up the warming up those seats. It's really not the best way to win a title, but hey, he's still a champion at the end of the day. But, I mean, Morrison was definitely a very big disappointment. He had a lot of potential coming out of Gonzaga, and he only played four years in the NBA, playing 161 games total, which is very, very bad. And, you know, Morrison, he is very up there and one of the top busts in NBA history, and he just didn't pan out. As soon as he came to the NBA, fans knew it teams knew it that he was not going to be in the league long and he wasn't even though he got two championship rings out of it he was not the player that came out of Gonzaga and he didn't score the basketball like people thought he would and I got Adam Morrison at number seven and at number six I got Sam Bowie Sam Bowie is known as the player who was picked ahead of Michael Jordan Michael Jordan the greatest player to ever play the game of basketball Sam Bowie was picked ahead of this man. He was the second overall pick, and the Portland Trailblazers selected him, and he was coming out of Kentucky, and, you know, he had unique size. I mean, he was seven foot one, and, you know, he had, a, he had a long wingspan, a good defensive presence, but the concern that he had coming into the draft, and first of all, I don't even know why Sam Bowie was drafted this high, he literally broke his leg his sophomore season at Kentucky and had to sit out two years before even returning to play. And before he broke his leg, he was averaging 17 points per game. And then his stats dropped tremendously, seven points per game, where he averaged 10 points per game when he came back, which should have been a red flag to these NBA scouts anyways. 
especially the Portland Trailblazers, because the Portland Trailblazers had a guy in Clyde Drexler. And imagine pairing up Clyde Drexler and Michael Jordan on the same team. Oh, my Lord. That would have been insane to watch. But Sam Bowie came into the league. You know, he had a he had a decent rookie season. I mean, he averaged 14 points per game or sorry, 10 points per game in his rookie season. But he didn't really have a big impact at all. And he was just battling injuries. I mean, he suffered three tibia fractures while he was on the Portland Trailblazers and really couldn't reach his full potential as a Portland Trailblazer. And after a few seasons on the Blazers, he was given another chance by the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, the, not the Brooklyn Nets, New Jersey Nets, excuse me. Sorry, I'm used to the Nets being Brooklyn. It's been a while, but uh, New Jersey Nets gave him another chance. And, you know, doctors were saying that Bowie could play. Bowie was ready to go. He could, he could be playing football if he wanted to. That's what people were saying. And... You know, he did pull up six more years of having a decent NBA career. I mean, he was putting up 14 points per game in New Jersey and playing the best seasons of his career. And, you know, credit to Sam Bowie. He could have been out of the league after his first five seasons with Portland, but he chose to stick with it. And he developed a mid-range game. He expanded his game outside the post. And he really stayed in the league. He figured out how to stay in the league long. And he had a decent NBA career as he averaged 10 points per game for, for his entire career. That was his career average, which is not bad. But it's just not the potential that you need to see out of his second overall pick, who was picked ahead of Michael Jordan, which we all know he's the greatest player ever. And it's just hard to be compared to him. And that's why he's such a bust, because you know injuries just really derailed his career and it's it's very unfortunate. I, I hate like draft busts like that don't reach their potential because of injuries, like not because of the play on the court. Like guys like Sam Bowie could have been decent if they didn't have so many injuries that were big time. I mean, he's a seven footer. He needs his legs. He needs his knees. And if you have leg injuries on a seven footer, it's really hard to stay in the league. But credit to him. He stayed in the league for 11 years, had a solid career. And, you know, he is one of the top draft busts. I do have him at number six, but he did have a solid career. And ahead of Sam Bowie, at number five, I got Greg Oden, who is another Portland Trailblazer. And, you know, Portland Trailblazers, this organization has, is notorious for passing up on great players. With Sam Bowie, they passed up on Michael Jordan. But with Greg Oden, they passed up on Kevin Durant. And we all know how Kevin Durant his career has turned out. I mean, he's one of he's the second best player in the NBA behind Giannis, by the way. And you know, Kevin Durant is an all star. He's one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen. And no, no one has ever seen a player like Kevin Durant. But Greg Oden was supposed to be the next Shaquille O'Neal. Greg Oden was the first overall pick in the 2007 draft, and you know he was good in college. Like, he really showed flashes of being a very dominant big man. Like, he would catch the ball down low. He had a lot of finesse to his game, good footwork, a really great touch on his hook shots around the basket. He wasn't just a big center. He was a very skilled center, and he could rebound the ball and was smart on the defensive end of the ball as well. He was a great shot blocker. He averaged three blocks per game at Ohio State, 
and he won National Defensive Player of the Year in his only season at Ohio State where he led Ohio State to a national championship where they lost with his teammate Mike Conley, who everyone knows Mike Conley. He's a pretty decent point guard, and he's had a good career. But Odin seemed unstoppable in college, and this is why he kind of rose to the rankings as the number one pick. He had an NBA-ready body at seven foot, 260 pounds, and he didn't really have any major injuries in college. And then he gets drafted, and he has many micro-knee surgeries, and he just wasn't able to stay healthy, and he only played 82 games with six seasons on the Portland Trailblazers, which is nuts. That's only a full season in six years which is insane. And it's super sad because Greg Oden could have been the next great center and he really could have changed the game tremendously. Like it could have been a center dominant game if he stayed in and really reached his full potential. And it not just for himself, but the Portland trailblazers could have been a contending team for a long time because they had Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge and adding Odin into the mix, that's a big three right there. And they really could have contended for a title in the West. But Odin just couldn't stay healthy at all. I mean, he was always dealing with knee injuries that would always keep him out. And credit to Odin. I mean, his work ethic to get back on the court was like no other player I've ever seen. But his body just didn't allow him to reach his full potential. And he only played 105 games throughout his NBA career. And he only played really two seasons with the Portland Trailblazers that he was actually on the court. Four of them, he wasn't even on the court with injury. But after his last season with the Portland Trailblazers, it parted ways with them. And he went to the Heat for one year where he only played 20, 21 games. And, you know, the Heat needed a big man. So they picked him up. And everyone thought he was going to be the guy to guard Roy Hibbert in the playoffs against the Pacers. But that didn't pan out either. And. You know, Greg Oden is now an assistant coach at Ohio State, and, you know, he's impacting the game as a coach. I mean, he's still a smart player. When it, He was still a smart – he still had a high IQ for a basketball player and, you know, really had a lot more to give to the game, and he really loved the game. It's just unfortunate for him that he couldn't play the game he loved, but he's still impacting the game off the court, which is tremendous to see. And – um I have Greg Oden at number five on my list. I really don't like to call him a bust because he was injured. Like a lot of these guys suffered injuries, but some of these guys didn't, as you will see later on in this list. But at number four, this is where I'm going to go live it. Okay. Hashim to beat was the second overall pick in 2009. He was picked ahead of James Harden, who is one of the greatest scorers in the NBA now. And you know, he's an all-star, multiple-time all-star, one of the best players in the league. And he was picked ahead of James Harden in 2009. To beat was 7-3, had an insane wingspan, and really his defensive presence in college was what really got scouts' attention when, when he was coming out of the draft. He was averaging three and four blocks per game in his sophomore and junior seasons at UConn and really showed the potential to be a huge defensive threat in the NBA. I mean, a guy like that, with that kind of defensive presence, got to be a good NBA player, right? Nope. So to beat, basically, had no offense. He did average 13 points per game in college, but he didn't 
have his own post game. He didn't really create his own shot down low. He was always getting dished. He was always getting past the ball. And, you know, that's why his efficiency was so high in college. But, you know, he was just feeding off other players and wasn't really doing anything himself offensively. And he just really struggled offensively and wasn't skilled, which should have been a red flag immediately for the Grizzlies not to pick him second overall. Like they shouldn't have picked him second overall, but they did it anyways. And to beat had career highs in his rookie season of three points and three rebounds per game. Awful. Very awful. How do you have a second overall pick? That is that bad, that bad. And you're seven, three. How are you that bad of a player? I don't understand. Like, Tabit has said in interviews when he's asked, he said he didn't have good mentorship, but you can always want to work hard and want it. You have a 7-3 frame. You are gifted with the ability to play the game of basketball, and you aren't even good at all. I don't understand it, especially if you're seven foot. So really, Tabit would only play two seasons with the Grizzlies and then bounce around the league playing for the Rockets and then... He played for the Blazers, Thunder, and he would only play seven games in his two seasons with the Rockets. Seven in two years. That's bad. That's re- <laughs> that's really bad. And after his last year in the Thunder of warming up the bench, he did nothing. He continued to do nothing. He would average no more than one point per game. One point. One. And Tabit would never develop into the player that everyone thought he could have been. But the Grizzlies still have to loom over their head. Oh, we could have had James Harden. Imagine, the Grizzlies at that time had O.J. Mayo, Mike Conley, Rudy Gay, and Marc Gasol. If they picked James Harden, they definitely would have been competing in the West for a championship and could have probably won one because they came close a couple times, and not to mention they had Zach Randolph too. I don't even know why the Grizzlies picked the big man at that point. They really needed a guard. But imagine if they had James Harden. Just imagine. If James Harden was on that team, that would have been insane. They definitely could have won a championship. And the times that they got beat by the Golden State Warriors or got to the West Finals and couldn't really get over the hump, Harden would have been that guy. And it's just disappointing to see Hashim Tabit go to the Grizzlies. But, you know, things happen for a reason. But Tabit, I got at number four. And... At number three, we all know this guy. If you know Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith hates this player with a passion. Mr. Kwame Brown. (laughs) Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown made history by being the first player ever selected to be the number one pick out of high school as the Wizards picked him in the 2001 draft. Brown was a McDonald's All-American in high school, and he was already committed to Florida, which I think one year in college would have really benefited Kwame Brown. I think he would have been a completely different player mentally and physically, and I think he just would have been better. And I think he could have been a very good NBA player and possibly an All-Star if he went to Florida. But he decided to go to the NBA because Michael Jordan came knocking on his door and he was like, hey, we're going to select you with the first overall pick. Want to come play for the Washington Wizards? Who would not say yes to that? Seriously. Like, who wouldn't? And, you know, 
the Wizards really liked what they saw. I mean, he averaged 20 points per game, 13 rebounds, and six blocks in his senior season in high school, which is insane. Six blocks? Six blocks, man? Holy cow. That is a lot of blocks. But his main problem when he came into the league, he really wasn't that skilled. They found out he wasn't that skilled. His hands were too small. He didn't really want to work hard. He couldn't. He didn't really have a good post move that he could commit to memory, which is a Stephen A. quote, which he really couldn't, and he couldn't really be effective offensively and couldn't really elevate himself to be that star. But he did have a rough two seasons by being screamed by Michael Jordan as Michael Jordan returned to the court, and he was getting screamed at. Michael Jordan was saying he had small hands, not really helping him. But after Michael Jordan decided to retire after Kwame's second season, he returned to his third season playing the probably the best season of his career, averaging 30 minutes per game, averaging 10 points and 7 rebounds. But it went downhill after that, and he would only play one more season for the Wizards and then got traded to the Lakers, playing with yet another guy similar to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant really heckled him. And in his time with the Lakers... Kwame Brown told Kobe not to throw him the ball because he fumbled a pass and it went out of bounds when Kobe tried to pass it to him. And Kwame said, don't throw me the ball when Kobe asked him, be ready next time. He's like, just don't even pass me the ball. I mean, at least he's being honest. But Brown was an okay role player in L.A. I mean, he didn't have a huge impact. He wasn't doing anything crazy. I mean, he would average like eight points per game. He was a decent rebounder. He would just do the bare minimum to get by, which is not a bad thing, but like, it's not a good thing because he was the first overall pick and the first ever player picked out of high school. But, you know, after three seasons in L.A., he was traded to the Grizzlies where the Lakers got Pau Gasol in that trade. And after the Lakers got Pau Gasol and Kwame Brown left the Lakers, they won back-to-back titles, which sucks because Kwame Brown could have won back-to-back titles, but, you know, Kwame Brown doesn't deserve to be a champion. He doesn't deserve to be a champion. He's a scrub. He was a scrub. He wasn't really that good. He was just a solid rotation piece that could you could plug in. That's it. He bounced around the league after his time in Memphis, went to Detroit, Charlotte, Golden State, Philadelphia, played for so many different teams, and then his last season in Philadelphia would be his last year in 2013, and he would just continue to do the same at a lower level. And, you know, he's one of the biggest busts in NBA history. I mean, with a guy, first overall pick out of high school, first ever taken. And by the way, a few years after LeBron was picked in 2003, the NBA made a rule that you have to play one year in college because of Kwame Brown, because of the way his career unfolded, because he just wasn't ready. He wasn't mature enough. He wasn't he wasn't skilled enough yet to play in the NBA, and his game could have used more more developing. But to Kwame Brown's credit, he stayed in the league for 12 seasons, and you know he was a solid rotation player, like I said. But he was labeled as a bust. But you know he, he the only reason he's labeled as a bust because he wasn't performing at what his potential should have been or what people think he should have been playing at, and that's Kwame Brown for you. At number three on my list. And at number two ahead of him, by far, the worst first overall pick in NBA history. 
Honestly, Anthony Bennett could seriously be number one on my list, but I'm not putting him there for certain reasons. You guys will see. But Anthony Bennett at number two, he was the first overall pick in 2013, right? So he was projected to go 10th overall at first. And then he his draft stock kind of rose. He was projected to maybe go seven. And then at some point, there's some traction that he could really be the number one pick. What? The number one pick? First of all, he averaged 16.1 points per game, which doesn't sound that bad, right? With eight rebounds. But for power forward, shooting 37% from the field is so bad. That's so inefficient, and that's a red flag immediately. But the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't care and still took him with the first overall pick. And the Cleveland Cavaliers could have had Victor Oladipo alongside Kyrie Irving, but they didn't care about that. They didn't care, they didn't care about the elite elite guard play. They didn't care about that. They wanted a big man that worked hard. And the UNLV coaching staff, which is the school Anthony Bennett played at, which is in Las Vegas, they said he was a hard worker and was willing to do anything to be a good NBA player, which was not the case. When Bennett came to Cleveland, he didn't lose any of the weight that they wanted him because he was a little overweight. And he only played one season for the team that drafted him first overall. He averaged 4.2 points per game and 3.8 rebounds in his only season with the Cavs. And then was traded to Minnesota in a Kevin Love trade when LeBron came back to Cleveland. And then he would go on to play two more seasons with two more teams. And he was out of the league. That's Anthony Bennett for you. I mean, just a scrub. Didn't work out. Wasn't a hard worker like... The UNLV coaching staff portrayed he was, and it's just disappointing, very disappointing. And Anthony Bennett, worst first overall pick in NBA history by far, not even close. And I got him at number two on my list. And at number one, the worst pick in NBA history was Darko Milicic. Now, I'm sure you guys know of Darko Milicic. Darko Milicic was the second overall pick right before Carmelo Anthony by the Detroit Pistons in the 2003 draft that had LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, a lot of all-stars that really changed the face of the NBA for years to come. But the Pistons loved this Serbian big man who was only 18 years old. And, you know, him being versatile and having good elite ball handling skills, quickness, um, shooting ability like no other. People were thinking that his skill set was unmatched. And there are only really two guys that are really scouting this guy because Europeans weren't really scouted like that then. And he was getting compared to Pau Gasol and Dirk Nowitzki, of course, because he's a European player. But Darko would not average more than one point per game with his couple seasons with the Detroit Pistons. He would get a championship ring in his rookie season, but in the playoffs, he only averaged 0.1 points per game. 0.1. Think about that number for a second. 0.1. Then he got traded to the Orlando Magic after two seasons. The stat wins up a little bit to seven points. An improvement. And then after two seasons with Orlando, he went to Memphis and then Minnesota, bounced around, Minnesota was probably the best years of his career. He started 69 games one season, averaged eight points. An improvement, yet again. 
but not impressive for a guy who was drafted above Carmelo Anthony and Chris Bosh, who are for sure Hall of Famers. And Milicic is the biggest draft bust in NBA history just because he was picked above those guys and he was in that draft class and the Pistons seriously could have had Carmelo Anthony. Please understand that. The Pistons could have had Carmelo freaking Anthony. But that did not happen. And Milicic would finish his final season playing a whopping one game with the Boston Celtics before retiring from the game. We The biggest bust in NBA history. Just my opinion. Literally picked behind LeBron. The, and, and, and first of all, one of these reporters slash sports writers that was literally scouting Darko was asking people, hey, do you think Darko should go ahead LeBron? What kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? Seriously. But I got Darko Milicic as the biggest bust in NBA history. A guy who virtually did nothing in his career and was a huge disappointment. Just didn't ha- show any development in his game, really. Ever. And didn't reach that potential that the Pistons thought he could have been. And Joe Dumars, the general manager, said that they didn't scout him enough. They didn't do m- in their research enough. They only watched him work out one time, which is bad because now teams watch players work out multiple times in the combine. They watch him scrimmage. They watch him play. But since European players weren't covered a lot back then, it was kind of hard for him to be you know, well-known. But um, this is going to go ahead and do it for today's episode of the Take Podcast. I really hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. Um, I really had fun doing this one. I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while. But um, make sure to check out my article about Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis. Um, Very interesting article. I posted it yesterday. Um, So make sure to uh, tune into that episode. And also check out my last uh, podcast where I talk about the KD and Kyrie situation. And also uh, follow me on social medias on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So you don't miss out on any episodes. And also when you guys follow me on Spotify, hit that notification bell so you get notified when I post new episodes. But uh, this is going to go ahead and do it for today's episode. And this is Jackson Burleson signing off.